thank you for listening to Calvary Aurora's weekly Bible study. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Amen. Acts chapter 16, we're going we're gonna to be going through most of the chapter, and so there's, there's a lot of it in there. This is a chapter that I've been really kind of uh, chewing on and, and asking the Lord to really encourage me in. And, and so um, I was really, when Pastor Ed asked me to, to teach, I knew exactly uh, the passage that I wanted to teach on. And so Acts 16, we're going to start in verse 6. If, you, if you're writing notes, you can, you can write down the title for this message is Anywhere Forward. Anywhere Forward. And so we'll, we'll dive in verse 6. It says here, Now when they had gone through uh, Phrygia, and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. This is speaking of Paul and Silas and a group of men. Uh, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they had come to uh, Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so one of the first things that we see here is Paul, Paul and this group of missionaries, they have a desire to, to go west, to go to Asia from, from where they're at. And they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in that area. They were forbidden to preach the, the word or the gospel in Asia after strengthening the churches in the region, Paul seeks to go to the next immediate west towards the important city of Ephesus. And Ephesus, we know, is, it really is an important city. It's a city that, um, that Paul would teach in. It was also the, the, the area where uh, Paul left Timothy to take after and to, to take care of the church there. It's also the church uh, in Revelation that we read about. It's a church that we read where they've left their first love and we understand and we get the remedy for leaving our first love and it's to repent and return and do the first work. So Ephesus was an important city. It was an important city that Paul needed to go to, but it wasn't the timing in this area, in this time for Paul to go there. And there was nothing wrong with Paul's desire to preach the word. That was a good desire, and there was nothing wrong with the desire to preach the word in Asia because that was also a good desire. But it wasn't God's leading or timing, and there's an important principle for us to the Christian life that not only are we called to do good things, but we're called to do them in the leading and by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not enough to just do good things. But the Christian is going to be marked by doing good things by the leading and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Without being led and filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, the work we can accomplish in our own efforts are just that. They're very, they're very humanistic and human-led. And, and much of the time when it's just something that we want to do, it's not going to have lasting fruit. It may have some fruit but it may not have the lasting fruit that God wants to do in and through us. And so we're called to be led and empowered to do these good things that God has called us to do. It's not enough to just be a good person because this, this world does need good people. But more importantly than that, this world needs godly people, people that are surrendered to the Lord, 
every aspect and part of their lives. And so is preaching the word good? Yeah. Is preaching the word of God good for a specific area and in all areas? Yeah. But we need to be those that are submitted. We need to see this just right out of the gate that Paul and Silas and this group, they were submitted to the leading of the Holy Spirit. They wanted to do good things and they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to do them. They tried to go to, to Bithynia after they tried to go to Asia, but the Spirit of God did not permit them. And after the attempt to go to Asia, Paul sought to go north now. Instead of west, they wanted to go north into Bithynia. But it's again prevented by the Holy Spirit. So they came down to Troas. So Troas was Paul's, it was, I mean, it was his third choice. It wasn't his first and it wasn't his second. And Paul's response to the Holy Spirit is a willingness to lay down his life for the direction that the Holy Spirit brings. And this is where Proverbs 16, 9 really comes to play. This is, this is, this is where it becomes true for any believer. In Proverbs 16, 9, it says, A man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Paul had this great idea. Hey, I'm going to go preach the word in Asia. And God said, no. Okay, well, I'm in, then I'm going to go to Bithynia. And God said, no. So he ends up in Troas. And for many of us, we have great plans and great ideas and things that we want to do. And, and for the most part, if we have a relationship with the Lord, those things are going to be good. Because none of us as Christians, none of us want to do bad things. Like that's not our desire if we're really seeking after the Lord. And so we're desiring to do good things. And yet God can still tell us to not do these good things by his leading. And here's a great challenge for us to consider if we're really living a life that has been given to the Lord. Paul here is being guided by hindrances. And the Holy Spirit often guides us in this way, by closing doors as he does by opening doors. And both are from the Lord. And we have to receive that. Sometimes God will say, no, this door is closed. And we want to... It's easy for us to rejoice in open doors, amen? Like we, we see an open door, like, hey, praise you, God. Thank you. Thank you for this open door. It's something that I've been praying for, and now I want to walk through it. And then when we get to closed doors, it's like, why? Why, Lord? Why wouldn't you give it? This is good. This is good for me. Why wouldn't you do this? And it's a closed door. And yet both are from the Lord, and we see that here in this text. What is it about closed doors or opportunities that we dislike so much? Could it be, could it be that we oftentimes think that we know better than God? Could it be that? Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. But oftentimes when, I, when I'm faced with a closed door, the, 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 the response isn't, hallelujah, closed door. It's, why, why God? Why is this door closed? And really when I'm faced with that, I'm placing myself with a mindset of, God, I, I think I know better than you do. And I've heard it said this way, thinking, thinking that we know better, or at least as much as God, is covetousness. And the Bible would call covetousness idolatry. We've placed ourselves above the creator of the universe, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so these closed doors are as much a part of God's plan as open doors. I've, I've also heard it put this way. 
The great philosopher Mike Tyson once said, <laughs> every man's got a plan until he's punched in the face. <laughs> and sometimes these closed doors that God gives us, they're, they're, they're the wake-up call. It's like, no, I, I don't want you to do that. And we have to be in this place of submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit and to the guiding and empowering of the Holy Spirit. And it says that a vision appeared to Paul in the night. In Troas, God makes Paul's direction clear. In a, in a vision, Paul is invited to the region of Macedonia westward across the Aegean Sea. And so this moves Paul and his missionary team from the continent of Asia to the continent of Europe. And this was going to be the first missionary endeavor to the continent, the region of Europe. And now we get to see, I don't know if you see it yet, but now I get to see the wisdom and the greatness of God's plan beginning to unfold. In Paul's mind, he was doing what he logically and rationally would do. He would go to the next immediate place. He wanted to reach a few cities in the region that he was already in, but God wanted to give Paul a continent to win for Jesus Christ. It wasn't just these areas. It was a whole continent. God was going to do this great work in this group. When there's a willing heart and a submissive attitude towards God, amazing things can happen. And we're going to get to see that in this passage. There's, there's this crazy amount of work that God starts doing because Paul and this group starts by just being obedient and submitted to God to be led by the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I shared last night with, with uh, Saturday night service, you know, I, didn't, I wasn't a great student. Uh, I'm, still, I'm still not a great student. Um, it, 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 I ha- it's almost like a chore for me. Like I have to, I have to choose to do it. And, um, and so because I wasn't a great student, I didn't really have great plans for my life. Really, I, I was thinking about it this morning. When I was in high school, I really, I really didn't think I was going to live past 30 because of how my life was going. And just sinful decision, compromise after compromise. And yet when I gave my life to the Lord, that all changed. My great plan and scheme for my life was that I wanted to own a, a Volkswagen bus and just live by the beach. That was my great plan. And I just wanted, I just wanted, I didn't want responsibilities. I just kind of wanted to be that that guy that people would not want to be around and, and, and just kind of see. But God had a different plan. And, and when there's a willing heart and a submissive attitude towards God, amazing things can happen. And that's, that's something that I want to encourage you in today. That where there's a submitted heart in your life, if there's an attitude of humility towards God, there's an amazing thing that God will do in your life. Things that you would never imagined he can do because... You have nothing to do with it. And here we see now there's a man of Macedonia in this vision that stood and pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so Paul went to bring Macedonia the gospel. And the gospel message makes room in our hearts for awe and amazement at who God is. And what God does. It's that very gospel message. When we are faced with the reality of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross, it makes room every time in our hearts 
for awe and amazement. Just to think, like, you guys didn't, there's, there's one person in this room who's known me pretty much my whole life, and it's my brother. And I'm thankful that he's the only one that knows me that well. But I'll say this, knowing who I am now and who I was, there's not anyone in this room or anyone that can hear my voice that God is not able to save, that God is not able to redeem, that Jesus, he came, he left glory, he was seated at the right hand of his father, he left glory, he came to this earth to serve, to be an example of what true love is and that he laid his life down for those who were still against him. He was crucified on a cross, he was buried, and he was resurrected. And in that new life, we have new life. The resurrecting power that resurrected Jesus from the grave, the Holy Spirit now lives within us, and we too can have that eternal life together with the Lord. The the gospel message was now going to be brought to this area of Macedonia. And immediately it says that immediately we sought to go. And there's a shift from they. They wanted to go to Macedonia in Acts 16.8 to we. And in this verse, it probably means that Luke now joins the group of missionaries in Troas. And so here's another amazing thing that we're going to see. We see another reason the Holy Spirit did not permit them to go into Bithynia. God wanted Paul and his team to go to Troas and pick up a doctor named Luke. Now, if God wouldn't have said no to Paul these two times, and if Paul wouldn't have been obedient, it's not hard to think that we may not have a gospel of Luke, and we might not have the book of Acts because it's, it's more than likely written by Luke. Now think about that. The gospel message of Luke and the book of Acts and how, how easy our lives can hinder what God wants to do by our disobedience and our unsubmissiveness to take the closed doors as something from the Lord. And, and here we see at the time, Paul probably had no idea of the greatness of God's purpose. God wanted to give him a continent. He wanted to give him a doctor within the group. Like if, you're, if you've got a doctor friend, you're in, you're in good company, Right? We, we, we recently went to the Philippines, and it was the first time we took people that had medical, a medical background on the, on the trip, and, man, it was amazing. It was so good because people were, people, I mean, people get sick, right? So having a doctor, having a doctor that you can just call, it's pretty awesome. Anyways, I wanted to give him a doctor. And, and he would be going to a place where God would do such a good work. So he's going to the area of Macedonia, And we'll read here, we're going to see that it's the area of Philippi. Now, show of hands, how many of you guys are blessed by the book of Philippians? There's so much goodness in the book of Philippians. And so not only is he going to pick up this doctor, but he's going to go to an area where he's going to build and establish and strengthen a church that he's later going to write to that we can be encouraged and blessed by what he writes to these Philippians. It's amazing. It's amazing to know that from these closed doors and a submissive heart, he now meets up with Luke, who who wrote the gospel of Luke, and 
more than likely wrote the book of Acts, but now he's going to go to a place where he can establish a work of God in Philippi, and we're going to get later on the book of Philippians. And all of, just, all of this just from a submitted heart to be led by the Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit. There may be things today about your life that God is saying very loudly and plainly, no. And you have to know that that no is for your best interest. No's from God are for your best interest. Just like me telling my 16-year-old son, do not shave your eyebrows. It's for your best interest. But I want to. Why? Anyways. That's neither here nor there. God's no's are for your best interest. And they're not only for your best interest, but they're also for his glory. And so it would do us well to be a church, to be people that are submitted to his no's. And as they go back into Acts, starting at verse 11, therefore sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to uh, Samarath, and the next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a former city with a part of Macedonia and a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days, and on the Sabbath day we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to a woman, uh, to the women who met there. And now a certain woman named Lydia heard us, and, sh- and she was a seller of purple and from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. And the Lord opened her heart to the heed of the things spoken by Paul. And when she had her house, uh, and she and her household were baptized, and she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. And they now enter into Philippi, and, uh, which is it's the foremost city part of that part of Macedonia. And Paul's general stat, uh, strategy was to plant churches in the major cities. Because if he was able to plant a church in the major city, and if he could reach the people within that city, then the gospel would spread throughout the city into the outer areas of that city. Everybody would go into the city because that's where everything was. And so if you could reach the city, if you could reach the people, then the gospel would, would go from there and would reach to the outer parts of the city. And so now they're in Philippi and they, they meet these women and specifically they meet this woman named Lydia. And they have this meeting, this predestined meeting that God would hook them up with this woman named Lydia and the Lord, it says, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And before, before Lydia was confer- converted as demonstrated by her baptism, we see here that the Lord opened her heart. And this is a work that God and only God must do and can do in all who believe. Because as Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. We see that in John six forty four. Now, the most important element in evangelism, for, for you guys that have a heart to evangelize and to reach people, the most important element in evangelism is imploring God through prayer to open hearts. God has to do that work. You can present a, a message so clearly and so eloquently, and you can have the right bullet points, but unless God is the one that opens their heart, it's, you don't have to feel like that. That's why I always try to tell people when, when we 
to encourage them to go out and share the, the gospel. You're just a messenger. You don't have to take that. If they, if they say, no, thank you, or probably not that nicely, you don't have to, you don't have to walk around with that, that frustration because it's the Lord that's going to open their heart. The most important element in evangelism is imploring God through prayer to open hearts, and without this, there can be no genuine conversion. Only God is able to work within the heart matters. And so here we meet this woman named Lydia, and God opens her heart, and Lydia is also great, a great uh, encouragement because she was a seller of purple. She was someone that sold something that wasn't necessary. It was an extravagant thing that really only rich people could buy. And sometimes, I don't know if you ever feel this, but sometimes you may feel like what I do doesn't really matter for the Lord. What I do isn't what these other great people do, whether they're people on stage or they lead ministries. But the reality is this. No matter what it is that you're doing, as you submit yourself to the Lord, God, God is going to use that. And here we see that God uses Lydia to, to be hospitable and to serve this group of people as they're traveling because she was a seller of something that was extravagant and really only rich people could use, that meant that she had the finances to be able to take care of people. And she did that. And we see that here. She persuaded them to, to stay with, with her. And so don't, don't think it a small thing if, if maybe, you know, you're, you just work at Starbucks right now or you're going through college and you have part-time jobs or whether you're a banker and you don't really see how this can make a make any sort of dent for the kingdom of God. God is going to use anything you do as you're submitted to him. Now, back in 16, Acts 16, starting at verse 16. Now, it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. And this girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. And so as they're continuing to travel, they meet this demon-possessed slave girl who starts following them for many days. This girl, through demon possession, was a source of profit for her owners as a fortune teller because demons would give her supernatural insight into the lives of others. And, and even today, much of what fortune tellers and psychics do is only a money-making sham. Can I get an amen? There's no, there's no such thing. And even if it's a true work of this demon possession when it's true and has supernatural origin as opposed to just give me a phone call and I'll try to figure out what I might think in my head for your future. There's no doubt that it is uh, inspired by the demonic realm. And there are still those today who are possessed with a spirit of divination. And you might read this and you might ask this question, but how can demons tell the future? Well, I'm glad you asked that question this morning. Because demons are created beings and not gods themselves, we can conclude that they cannot read minds nor actually foretell the future. But what they can do 
is read and predict human behavior and can attempt to steer events towards a previously predicted conclusion. I mean, it's like this this morning. Don't think about donuts. Donuts, 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 donuts. Don't think about them. You got to be thinking about the word of God, not donuts. Don't think about donuts. Those amazing little circles that you deep fry and then you put sugar on. Don't think about donuts right now. This world is a great influencer. And what demons can do, they can't, they can't foretell the future, but what they can do is they can see a person's life who's being influenced by the world and they can predict. They can predict what this human behavior, what we're going to do because of the influence that we have has nothing to do with demons or Satan being able to read any sort of future. Only God knows that. And so in a very real way, it's, it has, I mean, it's just don't think about donuts. And I bet you there's going to be a bunch of donuts eaten today because there were a bunch of donuts eaten last night. <laughs> it's, it's, anyways. If you allow enough influence of the world in your life, it wouldn't be hard to predict what decisions a person would make. Compromise never leads to holiness. Compromise only leads to more compromise. And the more that you compromise, the further away you allow yourself to be from the Lord. You, because of your pride, God has to take action and resist you. And so, it's not hard to think, even today, how people would take advantage and how here, even here, these men who were using this woman for profit, they were just using her to, to make money. And so Paul cast out the demon. He says, Paul is greatly annoyed now, why was Paul greatly annoyed? Didn't he appreciate the free advertising? Like here they're walking around and this demon-possessed girl is calling out that these men are of the Lord. And didn't he like the free advertising? And I would say no because he didn't appreciate the source. He didn't want to be associated with evil. He didn't need a demonic letter of reference as he was walking around in Philippi. And so... He cast out this demon, and, and it wasn't just a Paul thing. It wasn't just that Paul would walk around casting out demons. It, it, Paul, like Jesus, often told demons to be silent. So Jesus, he saw that a pattern in, in, in Jesus' ministry. And, and Jesus, just like in Paul, Paul here, even when the demons were telling the truth about Jesus, he would cast them out. And so it was a pattern that Paul saw in the ministry of Jesus. And we see that in Matthew 8, 28 through 34 and Mark 3, 11 through 12. Now Paul very carefully says this, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And Jesus cast out demons in his own authority and Paul is careful to speak to demons only in the authority of Jesus Christ. There's great power and authority that believers have in Jesus. Luke 10, 19 says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. And that's a promise for you today. That you have great authority through Jesus Christ. And, and Paul 
and Silas and this group knew that. And so Paul cast out this demon and continuing on in Acts 16, starting at verse 19, it says, but when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they, and they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city and they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. This whole mess now is instigated because her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone. This miraculous work of casting out a demon should bring a hope in Jesus Christ because it was done in the authority in the name of Jesus. And yet, because now someone's pockets were going to get hurt, they lead an uprise against Paul and Silas. See, these masters didn't care about the girl herself, only for their ability to exploit her demonic possession for money. And this is a really great picture of how damaging religion or a form of religion can be. That these men were only using these spiritual things for their profit. There's no real care about the people being used. And, and as a warning this morning, when things are done under the guise of spirituality, the guise of spiritually doing things for the profit of man, be very careful not to be around those people because they, they don't have the heart of God. The heart of God is what Paul and Silas were able to do. They saw this girl who was demon-possessed and they cast out that demon. And they didn't care about the repercussions of that. And so what did the, what did the magistrates and these, these men and the multitude do? They seize Paul and Silas now, Paul and Silas were singled out not only because they were the leaders of this evangel, uh, evangelistic group, but also by their appearance. It says that these men being Jews. Now, there was a bias. There was a bias that these, these, this multitude and these men were trying to build within the people around them. These men being Jews, when the reality is, if you finish that chapter, you, you, you understand they weren't Jews. They were Roman citizens. But because they had the appearance of Jews, the multitudes and these men started to build this bias. And the accusation was that they were exceedingly troubling, or they were exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. And their charges are very vague and they're simply accusing Paul and Silas of being troublemakers. And these vague charges were enough to get them into trouble because both the multitude and the magistrates were biased against Paul and Silas. And they were biased because of their Jewish appearance and because they assumed Paul and Silas were not Roman citizens. Be very careful how you treat people because of their appearance. Be very mindful. That is 
the Bible, the Bible that we're reading today would say that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and that Jesus saves people, not a race, not a human group, just people. And if you're reading this book today, if you're sitting here in this room, if you can hear me, you're a person. And Jesus doesn't look at you by the way that you look. He looks at what's inside your heart because that's what he wants to save. And so I I think very clearly the accusations were able to stick because there was a bias that was built up. And so it wasn't about, now it wasn't about this demon-possessed girl. It was about, look, look at these men who were Jews. And so what do they do? They laid many stripes on them and they threw them into prison. After being severely beaten, Paul and Silas were imprisoned harshly and strictly. And there was a command to the jailer to keep them securely in the inner prison and it was to fasten their feet in the stocks. Now, Paul would later write in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three. if you guys are writing notes, Paul would re- later write this of his ministry. In labors abundant, in stripes above measure, in prison, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. It was just a part of Paul's life. This wasn't the first time he was beaten and put in jail for something that he was doing in obedience to what God wanted him to do. And so God's telling, God told him no two times from where he thought he was going to go. And now he's in prison. You guys ever feel like, God, I'm being obedient. Why am I suffering? Well, you're in good company if you ever feel that way. Not only because we see Paul. Paul here is only being obedient to do the things that God's telling him to do. And so now he's beaten and in prison. But Jesus only did what he was told to do by the Father, and, and yet he was still crucified. You're in good company when you're being obedient, and yet there's still difficulties and struggles and hardships in your life. Because God's going to be glorified, and we're going to see that again even in this passage. Even in their pain, God was not far from Paul and Silas. Christian theologian Tertullian said this, and I quote, the legs feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. I'll say that again. The legs feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. And here Paul and Silas are beaten. They're in shackles. They're in prison. And we get to read what the response is. Here's the response, verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself, But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas and he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ 
and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the, his house, and he, took, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he, immediately he and all his family were baptized. You see, Paul and Silas, they're led by the Holy Spirit by having closed doors. They're led to this place. They, they, they meet this woman named Lydia. They continue on. They meet this demon-possessed girl. They cast out this demon. They, they do what God's called them to do. They end up in prison. They end up beaten. And what's their response? God, I love you. I praise you. You're so good to us. How does that happen? How does this become the response of a Christian when they're faced with this kind of difficulty? What will it take to make us stop praising God? What will it take for your own life? Bring it to yourself. What will it take for you to stop praising God? Because there's a point, I can tell you right now, there's a point in every believer. And as God reveals that point, you need to surrender that to the Lord. And ask him to change that part of your life. I was sharing this story um, recently about the, uh, the theater shooting in Aurora. And, and being, a, being, being there and being a part of that was one of the biggest nightmares of my life. We didn't know, we didn't know what was going on. We, it was chaotic. And running, running out of that theater, seeing, seeing people on the ground, not knowing, it was just bad. And I remember walking out with a group of us, not knowing what was going on, being scared for our lives, thinking that there might even be snipers on the roof. And why are they telling us to go outside? And our immediate response was like, we need to pray. We need to ask the Lord to be with us. And I remember having, uh, having it was a Friday, right? So um, we had a prayer vigil that night here. And then that weekend, I remember Ed coming to me and saying, hey, you know, I, I know this has been a rough, rough weekend. And so, you know, if we need to, if we need to ask someone to come in and lead worship, and uh, that's totally fine, man. You could, you could just take the weekend off, man. I understand. And, and I really remember, like, the Lord doing something in my mind immediately and saying, like, why? why? Like, what other response would you have than to worship me at this moment? And I just remember that. And so what is it in your life that's going to make you stop praising God? Because there, there's probably a moment. There's probably a difficulty. And yet God would desire to draw out from you, hey, you got to praise me still. You need to worship still. Because I'm still here. I'm still working. I'm still on the throne. Anyone can be happy when things are going great. But real joy is an inheritance we receive from the Lord. And it comes only from within. The joy of the Lord is a gift available to the Christian at all times. It's not hard to be happy when things are happy. But are you going to be joyful when things are hard? Are you going to praise the Lord when you don't know what's going on? You see, difficulties don't create character, and hardships don't create faithfulness. Instead, they reveal what we possess and what we lack. 
these instances, this instant, them being beaten and put in jail, they're not creating a faithfulness in Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas are already faithful. They're revealing who they are. And that's the same for us. These hardships, these struggles, these difficulties, they don't create in us a faith in God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. They reveal what you have and you don't have. Recently, right, a couple weeks ago, we got a lot of rain here. And because we got a lot of rain, all of a sudden in one of our rooms in our house, we started to see bubbling on our wall. And I was like, what is that? And so being the man that I am, you know, I'm like, Katie, come here. (laughs) We need to fix something. I didn't say we, I said, you need to fix something. And so she looked, she went up onto the cross space, you know, and she was like, she's like, we got a leak. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit I'm not a handy guy. And my wife loves doing that kind of stuff. So she went up, she's like, we got a leak. And I'm like, oh man, now we got to sell the house. (laughs) And it's a really, it's really like, that's a really foolish statement, right? Like. Because we have this small little leak, we jump to, we got to sell the house. But so often we treat our Christian walk that way. It's just a small leak. God is revealing the small leak. And everything about you says, we just got to give up. We just got to sell this house. We got to let go of what God's doing. When the reality is God's revealing, God revealed that leak because he wanted to fix it so that the house could be better, so that the house could be stronger. And that's what God's doing in your life. When you face difficulties, when you face trials, when you feel beaten up, he doesn't want you to just give up to sell the house. He's revealing those things because he wants to fix it. He wants to strengthen it. He wants to make it better. Proverbs 24.10 says this, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. And so God's going to reveal the lack of strength so that he can strengthen you. Paul and Silas understood something. They knew who their God was. And because of that, they could not respond in any other way. Their obedience and submitted lives to be led by the Holy Spirit could only mean that they trusted God. Whether things were going well or whether things were going horrible. Our worship grows and deepens with how much we know God. If you don't know who God is, then you're really not going to, you're not going to be able to face these adversities. You're going to want to give up. Or like me, it's like, you, you're gonna, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hole in the wall. We need to sell the house now. It doesn't, doesn't really make sense, and yet we treat our Christian walks often like that. You see, Paul and Silas, they understood something. They, because of who, who they knew God to be, they worshiped and they praised. You see, praise leads to perspective. And perspective leads to perseverance. They began to 
sing hymns and worship God. And as they were remembering, God, you're so good. You're so faithful. You're holy. There's no one like you. They began to understand God has got this. He's going to take care of us, and we don't have to worry. When you know God's faithfulness in an intimate way, there's no response. There's no other response than to praise him. There's no other response than to glorify him, even in your difficulties, even in a storm. And the jailer's reaction had good reason behind it. You see, there's this great earthquake. There's this great earthquake, and he sees that the prison doors are open. And it's a supernatural work. Like, earthquakes don't take, earthquakes don't take off shackles. They don't open these locked doors. And yet, here they are. There's this jail that's wide open. And this jailer's response is, I'm dead. You see, guards who allowed their prisoners to escape had to bear the penalty of their escaped prisoners, which meant this. They were going to kill Paul and Silas. And so the jailer's mindset is, I'm going to die. And so he's about to kill himself. Now, knowing this, Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. He assures the jailer that, that no one has escaped. Now, it would have been easy for Paul and Silas to escape, thinking God had instigated another miraculous jailbreak. I know for me, if, if, there was this, if I was in this position, and miraculously God does this miraculous work by causing this earthquake that now I don't have any shackles, and the, the door's wide open, later... You will never see me run faster. But to them, the lives of others were more important than their own personal freedom and comfort. Philippians 2.3 says this, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. In not escaping, Paul and Silas showed tremendous discernment. The circumstances said, run, escape, but love said, stay. Stay for the sake of that one soul. Stay for the sake of the jailer who's about to kill himself. They were not guided merely by circumstances, but by what love compelled them to do. And in that love, in them saying, hey, we're all here. Hey, buddy, don't kill yourself. We're all here. What, what's his, now what's the jailer's response? He fell down trembling, and there's a dramatic change. We see he was more affected by the love and grace in the lives of Paul and Silas than an earthquake. Now, this may be the same guard that just was beating them hours earlier. And here he is, fallen, trembling, Asking, what, what must I do to be saved? And this is what repentance looks like, church. We're doing what we're doing. We're doing maybe what we're supposed to be doing. And, and here this jailer, he's, he's, he's just doing what he was at, what he was told to do. And his world is shaken literally by an earthquake. 
and he knows the consequences. He knows the consequence of now not having these prisoners and, and he knows he's going to die. And here, because of love, Paul and Silas stay. And they interrupt what he's going to do. You see, love interrupts. Love interrupts the penalties of sin, which is death. And it's a great picture that Jesus would, would reveal that he doesn't have to die. He doesn't have to take his own life. And he says, what, what must I do to be saved? And the jailer is so impressed by Paul and Silas, by the love they showed to him, and from their ability to take joy even in misery, that he instantly wants that kind of life that Paul and Silas have. Now this is how God wants our lives to be. Natural magnets drawing people to him. Our Christianity should make others want what we have in God. But the only reason they would want what we have is there has to be a difference from our lives to theirs. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, Each time he said, my grace is all you need, my power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. How often do we not allow the perfecting power of God in our lives because we think we need to be stronger or feel the need to figure it out rather than just say, God, I don't know what to do. But I know you do. So often, even in my own life, I gotta figure this out, God. Let me work, let me work hard enough so that I can feel good about what I'm doing when, when God's really just saying, hey, just, just surrender. Just, just humble yourself. Just worship me. Just sit at my feet. Paul's answer to the jailer is this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. This is salvation by grace alone, received by faith alone. And this is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Maybe today your world is being shaken Maybe in a real, literal way, you want to kill yourself, and God's love wants to interrupt that, just like this jailer. He would call out to you and say, no, just believe, believe on me. Believe on me. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happens? Verse 33. He took them the same hour of the night and he washed their stripes and immediately he and all his family were baptized. And now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. The same jailer who had been punishing them was now ministering to Paul and Silas, caring for their wounds and he set food before them. And this shows how repentant he was and how he followed the example of love shown by Paul and Silas. And immediately he and all his family were baptized and the jailer and his family saw no reason to delay. They saw this miraculous work and they believed in Jesus. There was no delay. They were going to commit their lives to the Lord. 
And then it says he rejoiced. This man was carried from suicidal fear to abounding joy in just moments. And all of it flowed from Paul and Silas' courageous praise to God in terrible adversity. Now look at the work God was able to do with the lives that were submitted to being led by his spirit. They meet Luke. Luke joins the group. They meet Lydia. She commits her life to the Lord. They meet a demon-possessed girl. They cast out this demon. They end up beaten and in jail. They worship and praise the Lord. A supernatural earthquake happens. They save a man from killing himself, and he and his whole household get saved because of closed doors. Because of closed doors. Is your life, is our lives characterized like the Apostle Paul? David Guzik quotes the great missionary David Livingstone as he summarizes the heart of Paul. He says this, and I quote, I am prepared to go anywhere so long as it is forward. You see, even in closed doors, even when we're at a standstill, if we know we're being submitted and obedient to God, it's still forward. So church today, are you committed to go anywhere forward? Are you, are you willing to do anything submitted to God? Are you willing to submit everything so long as it is forward pressing towards the goal of the upward call of Christ? You know that passage where it says, this one thing I do, I, I, I forget the things in the past, but I press toward the goal of the upward call of, uh, that's in Christ Jesus. You know where that's found? Philippians. He said, he said that to the Philippian church. The church that he was part of in this passage now. Are you committed to do this one? It's just one thing. It's just one thing. The upward call of Christ. Anywhere forward. Let's all stand together, church. We'll pray and we'll end with a song, but I really want to encourage you this morning. Uh, maybe, maybe you find yourself uh, in a difficult season. And, and, and there's a lot of holes. God's revealing a lot of holes. And my encouragement to you today is it, don't sell the house. God's revealing those things in your life because he wants to fix them. He wants to strengthen. He wants to make it better. So allow him to. If God's revealing those things today, would you submit yourself to the Lord today? Would you take this opportunity to allow worship and praise to come out of your heart and out of your mouth, that you would know that he is good, that you would trust in his word today. Now, maybe today you're like the jailer. Your world is being shaken, and God wants to interrupt your life with his love, and he wants to call you to a place where you're surrendering your whole life to him so that you might be able to experience that love the book of Romans tells us that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Would you confess that today? Would you ask the Lord to save you? Just like this jailer that we just read, he humbled himself, he, he kneeled, he trembled, he fell and asked to be saved. You have that opportunity today. There's going to be pastors and people on the prayer team that are going to be up here, and you can just talk to them, ask them. You can ask them that simple question, what must I do to be saved? And they'll talk with you, they'll pray with you, and they'll encourage you on how you can be saved today. But church, let's respond by praising and worshiping the Lord today. Let's leave here knowing that the Lord, he's for us. And if he's for us, no one can be against us. Amen? Amen. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.